It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast with your host, Ed Randall. Hi, everybody. I'm Ed Randall, and welcome to the MLB.com Pipeline Podcast. I'm joined by our draft and minor league experts, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. First, reader alert. Reader alert. There's an analysis of all 10 playoff teams and how they were built on our site. Jim, what about it? Yeah, yeah, we, we do this every year. We, we break down exactly how the, the projected playoff rosters were assembled by each of the the playoff teams. And I guess the thing that, that, that strikes me every year when we do this is the, that the teams do this in such different fashions. Uh, you know, when you when you look at teams that are homegrown, that they sign and develop the majority of their roster, you know, the, the, the Cardinals always stand out, and this year they're joined by the Mets. You know, those are the two teams that the that more than half their postseason rosters were, you know, assembled internally. And then you go, you know, you look, you have teams like the Cubs, the Blue Jays, the Dodgers, Pirates, and Rangers. There's five of the ten teams built more than half of their roster through trades, you know, whether they be, you know, smaller deals that, that, that blossomed into big deals, you know, like the Cubs for Anthony Rizzo and Jake Arrieta, or the, the Blue Jays going out and making blockbuster trades for Josh Donaldson and Troy Tolwitzki and David Price, or, you know, you, you have teams like the, the, the Pirates actually have a strong homegrown core with guys like Andrew McCutcheon, starting Marte and Garrett Cole, and they made more complimentary deals for the likes of Josh Harrison and Mark Melanson. You know, so you, you have that. That's another way to do it. Then, then you have, I don't think it'll surprise anybody that the Yankees lead all the teams with seven free agents on their roster, uh, which would have been eight if Mark Teixeira hadn't gotten hurt. And he's not technically a free agent, but Masahiro Tanaka it was essentially the equivalent of a free agent deal. Uh, th- those guys added up to almost $800 million of contracts, if you count in Teixeira and Tanaka. And then the interesting thing to me from a free agent standpoint, Ed, was that the Royals actually tied the Yankees, but the Royals' seven free agents were, were all you know minor guys like Kendris Morales, Edison Volquez, Chris Young, Ryan Matson, guys like that, they only totaled, they, they totaled right under $60 million. So even though they had the most free agents along with the Yankees, it was the other end of the free agent spectrum. And then the, the 10th playoff team, the Astros, kind of did a, a little bit of everything. They have first-round picks like Carlos Correa and George Springer, draft steals like Dallas Keuchel, international signings like Jose Altuve. They traded for veterans before the season, Evan Gaddis, Luis Valbuena. During the season, Scott Casimir, Carlos Gomez, Mike Fires. They've got you know some really astute waiver claims and Colin McHugh and Will Harris, and a number of you know minor free agents or or, or not big ticket free agents, maybe a better way to put it, with Luke Gregerson and Colby Rasmus. So every year when we do this, and I think Jonathan would probably agree, it's interesting because you know there is no one set formula, and sometimes when you you do a team two or three years in a row, or you look at a team two or three years in a row, even the way they build their club shifts a little bit. I think. We'll be seeing more of the Cardinals and uh, I mean more of the Cubs and the Astros down the line. I don't think this is just a one-year playoff run for those teams. And I think if we're doing this story two, three years down the line, we'll see a much bigger homegrown influence as their productive farm systems pump more players to the majors. 
my goodness, what a, what a year it's been. Uh, now a question for you, our listeners. Can you think of a season in which so many rookies have made such great impressions? Many of those players helped in no small part getting their clubs to baseball's second season. Now let's take a look at the best under-the-radar moves, as in, no, we all don't remember, Jonathan, Jim, and myself, where we were when the Cubs acquired Jake Arrieta. Jonathan, start off with the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, I think uh, they've done a lot of interesting things, and uh, you know, it's always neat to look at the sort of quote-unquote smaller market teams and and how they can be creative. Uh, you know, Jim mentioned in terms of them being more active in free agency this year than compared to their team a year ago, and they didn't spend a lot of money. Uh, and then they were, you know, really uh, took some flyers on guys like Chris Medlin and and bringing Ryan Matson out of retirement, and that's that's helped them out, but. I think you have to kind of look at their international core. Salvador Perez, uh, Kelvin Herrera, and Jordano Ventura, uh, all three of whom obviously have played not just small roles uh, on the team the last two years, but vital ones. And they signed for a combined $113,000, uh, which you know, which is unheard of uh, if you really think about it in terms of the, the money here being spent on the international market. So, uh, sort of tip of the cap to the uh, Latin American scouting department for the Royals to be able to uncover these fines and, and, and sign them for bargain basement prices. Uh, Jim, to you, let's keep it in Missouri. Uh, talk about the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, you know, it's, it's I guess, kind of continuing the theme Johnson was of, of, of bargain homegrown players. You know, the, the Cardinals did an unbelievable job in the 2009 draft. Uh, you know, two of the first three picks, and, and this would have been a good draft in itself, were Shelby Miller and, and Joe Kelly, who they have since turned into Jason Hayward and John Lackey via trade. So that already would have been a, a pretty nice start right there. But they, they did an unbelievable job in the later rounds, Ed. They got Matt Carpenter, who was a fifth-year senior at TCU. They signed him for $1,000 in the 13th round. He's a two-time All-Star. He's led the National League in doubles two of the last three years. You know, he's exceeded expectations, and, and so did a couple other guys they drafted even later. Trevor Rosenthal was a two-way player at Cowley County Community College. Took him in the 21st round, signed him for, for $65,000. Uh, his fastball took off, and he blossomed into a closer. Uh, you know, in short order. And then the 23rd round, they took Matt Adams, who was kind of your your classic bad body, uh, small college performer. You know, he didn't not exactly uh, the the big league body you look for, but he hit 495 in 2009 to lead Division II. He hit 454 in his clear his career at Slippery Rock, um, and they signed him for 25000 in the 23rd round. All three of those guys have far exceeded any expectations, and you could see a fourth bargain guy you know, potentially on their playoff roster. Depending on Yadier Molina's health, their, their next catching option would be Travis Tartamella, who was a, a 25th or $25,000 signing in the 19th round, also out of a, a small college, Cal State L.A. So Cardinals really cleaned up in that 2009 draft. Jonathan, uh, what about the high-spending Los Angeles Dodgers? Uh, i got to go back. Did you say Matt Carpenter signed for $1,000? Well, he was a fifth-year senior. I mean, he, he was at one point not even playing that much at TCU, Jonathan, because he was not in great shape uh, early in his career and kind of had a, a come-to-Jesus meeting with the coaches that, that kind of got him in line. But, no, he was, a, he was, he was not only a $1,000 signing, he was a fifth-year senior. I mean, he could have been signed the previous two years and went undrafted. And, and he was another guy who – 
his body was in better shape, but he wasn't, you know, he, not, not only has he exceeded expectations, but I think he, not just offensively, but defensively, uh, you know, I don't think anybody gave him much of a chance to play third base or second base in, in the big leagues, and he's right. done a, a credible job at both. But, yeah, he's, you, you got to give him credit. I mean, you know, I think the Cardinals did deserve credit for finding these guys, and in a lot of cases you have to give these players credit for working very hard to, to get better. I just want to point out to you that the Cardinals signed a two-time All-Star for an amount that, like, we could afford. We could have signed Matt Carpenter for a thousand dollars for our podcast. Anyway, uh, the Dodgers, uh, yes, uh, highest payroll in baseball, um, but I'm going to go with the sort of smaller free agent signing in, in Justin Turner, uh, just in terms of the value that he's had signed back in, in February of, of 2014, uh, and he's just been tremendous. I mean. Signed for a million dollars in 2014, re-upped with the Dodgers for this year, two and a half million dollars. You know, which by the standards of what uh, they're spending in Los Angeles is next to nothing. And I don't think you can understate the value that that he has had for that team over the two years. He's hit 314, 384 on base, 492 slugging. He's played four positions for them at various times. Really stepped in. Uh, almost as a everyday third baseman when they really needed it this year. Uh, so with all the big spending that they've had, and, you know, you could go on and on and on, uh, Zach Renke, you know, uh, being able to afford uh, a guy like Asiel Puig on the international market, uh, on and on, uh, it, it, I think it's interesting that it's that sort of smaller role player signing that uh, probably has as much to do with them making the playoffs uh, now for the third straight season. Uh, the three of us, of course, had the Texas Rangers going to the uh, playoffs. Uh, Jim, uh, tell us about them. Yeah, I will. And I was going to say, just on Justin Turner, he, he's amazing to me, Jonathan. I mean, that's a guy I saw play at, at Cal State Fullerton in the College World Series, and he was just kind of this, this scrappy, gritty player who you thought ceiling, maybe he could hit just enough to maybe carve out a utility career. And you know, you're reading off those numbers he's done the last two years in Los Angeles. You know, he had the he hit 340 last year as a part-time player, and I kind of in my head said, man, what a fluke. There's no way he's going to do that again. And he didn't hit 340, but he he set a career high with 16 homers this year. That guy just keeps getting better and better. You know, with the Rangers, Ed. You know, I think the move that kind of made everybody sit up uh, and take notice, although we didn't necessarily think it was going to wind up putting them in the playoffs necessarily this year, was when they went out and traded five prospects, including three top 100 prospects, to get Cole Hamels at the trade deadline. And that certainly has paid off as expected. He went 7-1 in his 12 starts. But there was another guy that got in that trade. You know, they actually threw in an extra prospect to get reliever, left-handed reliever Jake Diekman in that trade from the Phillies. And that same day, we would much less fanfare than the Cole Hamels deal. They, they traded uh, Tomas Talese and, and Cody Eagy to the Marlins for, for Sam Dyson. And those two guys really saved their bullpen. I mean, Diekman pitched in 26 games the last two months with a 208 ERA. Dyson pitched 31 times with a 115 ERA. Uh, you know, we saw Sean Tolson kind of wear down a little bit during the last week of the season. It, it wouldn't surprise me if Dyson and Deakman play an even greater role in, in the playoffs. And, you know, again, you know, the Cole Hamels deal, you know, and, and earlier, you know, before the season, Giovanni Gallardo, those were deals where people kind of noticed, okay, they're going out, they're trying to make a major upgrade to the rotation. I don't think anybody realized the, the impact that, that Jake Diekman and Sam Dyson would have on their bullpen and their team, uh, you know, down the stretch, uh, you know, as important as Hamels was, I, I don't think they, they, they could win the division without those two relievers. Jonathan, the uh, New York Yankees are back in the playoffs for the first time since 2012. What about them? Yeah, just a quick thing on the, on the Rangers. I, yeah, I think 
most of us, when they made the, the trade, most people saw Hamels, and they really said, all right, well, it looked like a 2016 move. You know, they weren't out of the race, but I don't anyone thought they were really in the race when that trade was made. So kudos to them for seeing them, and then it really clicked with those guys in the bullpen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in the bullpen with the Yankees. Um, you know, it's been kind of interesting in terms of what they've done the last couple of years, obviously known for sort of the big splash signings before the 2014 season, they went out and, uh, and were very aggressive on the free agent market. And that didn't really pan out for them during the 2014 season. Uh, they got a, a more reasonable version uh, or a more expected version of, uh, of Brian McCann um, in, uh, you know, in this year, but, uh, I kind of like what they were able to do to, to shore up the bullpen. Now, Jason Shreve has kind of struggled down the stretch, and whether or not he uh, has a role in the postseason remains to be seen. But especially in the first half, he was uh, tremendous. That was in the Manny Benuelos trade, and they'd been working on uh, getting Shreve for, for quite some time from, from the Braves. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they really traded from a position of strength. They had catching in their system. Uh, the Pirates clearly like uh, catchers from the Yankees. They got Russ, uh, Russell Martin. Uh, from them, they got Chris Stewart from them, and then they wanted Francisco Cervelli, and they got Justin Wilson uh, in return. And, and Wilson has been a, a really vital part uh, of that bullpen, and, and not just as a, a lefty specialist. Uh, he's got arm strength. He can miss bats, uh, and he's going to be very important, I think, to help them shorten games if they want to uh, you know, play deep into October. Jim, the Houston Astros lost 100 or more games three straight years, and yet here they are in October. What about them? Yeah, they, they do. They, they do have a, a core of talented young players. And two moves that I think have paid off better than anybody uh, would ever imagined happened uh, even before this regime took over, the, the Jeff Lunell regime took over. In 2007 and 2008, they, they had a pair of signings that, that have really paid off. You know, Jose Altuve, you know, Jonathan, we've been talking about guys who have signed very cheap. You, you, you know, I don't know if our, our pipeline podcast budget would, would extend to $15,000, but if it did, <laughs> we, we could have signed Jose Altuve out of Venezuela in 2007 because that's what the Astros paid for him, $15,000. Obviously, his size was an issue. You know, people, you know, questioned. I, I think even coming up to the minors, until his last year in the minors where he started the season by hitting over 400 at, at high class A Lancaster and playing the Futures game and hitting 360 in double A, everybody kind of questioned, you know, okay, he, he's performed, what kind of impact can he have? And, and we've seen it. I mean, three-time uh, three all-star, back-to-back 200-hit seasons. He's been tremendous, and then the year after they signed him, uh, in 2008, they, they signed Dallas Keuchel as a seventh-round pick uh, for $150,000, and, uh, you know, I, I've lost track of how many College World Series I've been to, but Dallas Keuchel's another guy I saw in the College World Series. I saw him win twice uh, for Arkansas in Omaha, uh, beat Virginia twice that year, and, and you know, respect him, but he, he, to me, looked like more of a college competitor, a lefty who could throw strikes. And, you know, keep the ball down, but he didn't have wow stuff. He, he wasn't going to blow you away. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe that guy has a chance to, to maybe be the uh, back-of-the-rotation guy or, you know, maybe more realistically a middle reliever. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think he topped 90 very much. It, it was more of a sinker than a velocity on the fastball. Uh, you know, changeup was probably the best pitch, but it wasn't unbelievable. The, the curveball was, was nothing special. And, and here you fast-forward, you know, seven years later, uh, and he's probably going to win the American League Cy Young Award, and, and he had a really nice 2014 also. So I, I think 
those two moves, you know, if Jose Altuve and Dallas Keuchel, uh, to, to quote Denny Green, were who we thought they were, then the Astros probably would not be in the playoffs right now. I can't think of a team that gets uh, less respect than the Pittsburgh Pirates, Jonathan. And uh, and yet here they are, uh, transformative. Uh, you live there. Uh, tell us about the Pirates. They still don't get respect. This is their third year in a row in the playoffs. I don't think. Right. I, I think that when you look at all the team, uh, all the teams, I just think that they uh, don't get the attention that the Cubs get uh, because of the market size and the Cardinals with their constant success. And I think it's unfortunate because Hurdle and uh, the people in the front office there have done a fabulous job. Yeah. Okay. Well, fine. I'll get off my Homer soapbox. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but. Uh, well, I'm going to, uh, you know, you could go in a lot of directions. You know, we're talking about the cheap homegrown players. You look at the outfield corners and Starling Marte and, and Gregory Polanco, who uh, signed for a combined, I think, $210,000, uh, somewhere around there, $215,000. So uh, we might have to have a bake sale to afford them. But, um, but, you know, we could add them to the pipeline roster as well. But um, I'm going to talk about probably the – the quietest trade deadline deal that may have had the most impact of any deadline deal outside of perhaps uh, David Price going to Toronto or uh, Price and Tuo, and that's J.A. Happ because, I mean, Happ looked kind of lost in Seattle. It's a guy who's been in and out of rotations, uh, shown some signs of being, you know, a number four, number five starter. Uh, the Pirates uh, trade for him. And listen, the Pirates now, deservedly so, have a reputation as a place where pitchers go to have their their careers re-energized or revitalized. And a lot of that has to do with Ray Searage, the, the pitching coach. But boy, I mean, half comes out, first start, terrible. Overall, 7-2, ERA in 11 starts, 9.8 Ks per nine, 1.8 walks per nine. He only gave up more than two earned runs twice. And throughout that first bad start, and he gave up three earned runs and one other start, and that's been it. And uh, he went from a guy that I think they were hoping just could fill in a gap to a guy who uh, I give the ball to, you know, in in game three of a of a division series. Um, you know, depending on how actually they may end up being game two, Garrett Cole pitching the wild card game. But to me, it's you know Cole one, Liriano two, and and half is three. Uh, so. You know they they didn't have to give up much to get him. Uh, I don't think anybody noticed this deal when when it happened. Um, but a, another a job well done by Neil Huntington and his staff uh, of identifying a guy who maybe just needed uh, a little bit of a different approach. They you know tinkered with some things, uh, and and boy they maximized uh, his, his value since getting him. Jim, uh, I think the biggest acquisition for the Chicago Cubs was uh, bringing Joe Madden in, but obviously they made other moves, and here they are, and a lot of people think ahead of schedule. Yeah, I think they are ahead of schedule, and it's. Uh, uh, I don't know if I'm as much. I, I wouldn't call myself a Cubs homer like I might good-naturedly call a Jonathan a Pirates homer. Although I, I would ask Jonathan, I'll, I'll digress here for a second. I, you know, a lot of people up here who know what I do for a living bemoan to me the fact that the uh, Cubs have to play the Pirates in a one-game, you know, winner-go-home thing. And while on one hand I do think winning the division should stand for something, uh, on the other hand, you know, the divisions are somewhat random, and I don't think there's any question when you look at how tough that was a division and how the schedules are unbalanced. 
And even if you don't factor that in, the three teams with the most wins this year are the Cardinals, the Pirates, and the Cubs. I think those are the three best teams in baseball. And it's a shame that after one game, one of those teams will be eliminated. And it's kind of unfortunate, I think, for the Cardinals that they have to face either the Pirates or the Cubs in the second round. And none of that seems as fair as maybe it could be, Jonathan. No, you know, you're probably right. But uh, I guess, um, you know, what sort of said to people here, and it's, it's almost unfair when you look at how many wins both the teams had, but uh, the Pirates against the, the, the bottom dwellers of the NL Central played very poorly against the Reds and Brewers. They played, they played 500 ball against those two teams, the teams that they're supposed to beat up. They actually beat the Cardinals probably somewhat handily. It's kind of ridiculous to think that they'd have 100, 500, 6 wins. But, yeah, I mean, with, with the setup in today's game, you know, if, it, if, if the wild card game bothers you, then win the division. But it, it is awfully hard to, to think about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, and even from the Pirates and Cubs standpoint, they have to play that one game. You get by that one game, oh, and then, yes, you have the second-best record in baseball. you got to go play the Cardinals. So, well, you know, how about it, the Cardinals? Uh, I and mean, the Cardinals win 100 games, and, and really, I don't understand why they wouldn't recede. Why don't the Cardinals get to play the Mets? Who, you know, no offense to the Mets, but I don't, you know, I think they're clearly, clearly an inferior team to the Pirates or Cubs. And the Cardinals' reward for posting the best record in baseball is they get to play either the team with the second or third best record in baseball in round two. But anyway, I digress. This is not anyway. a a complaint about the postseason format uh, podcast. Uh, but getting back to your question Ed, about the Cubs, uh, yeah, the Joe Madden. Uh, move was tremendous, although I, I would say on that one, I, I don't know if I would call that one underrated or, or, or unhyped at the time, because I think a lot of people thought good things were going to occur from that, but, you know, kind of building off, again, this this Cubs-Pirates theme, uh, I, I'll, I'll second Jonathan, and with the Cubs, I'll go with the deadline move that I don't think anybody realized would have nearly the impact at, at the time that it did, and this was back when the Cubs were were rebuilding, not uh, they weren't looking to pick up a veteran, but in 2013, you know, if you look, if you go back and look at the first three years of the Theo Epstein Jed Hoyer regime, they traded pretty much their two best starting pitchers every year to try to build up the farm system and build up the organization. And they signed Scott Feldman as a free agent before the 2013 season. Um, and then at the deadline or at the beginning of July, they, they traded Scott Feldman and backup catcher Steve Clevenger to the Orioles, and they got Jake Arrieta um, and Pedro Strope and two international bonus slots uh, at the deadline. At the time, Jake Arrieta was a big-time prospect coming out of college. He he was a fifth-round pick uh, out of TCU. Uh, I I think he – I guess he did overlap. He would have overlapped with Matt Carpenter, who we talked about earlier. Anyway, he signed for $1.1 million. He was an above-slot guy, but he just could never get it going in Baltimore. At the time of the trade, he'd been in Baltimore for parts of four seasons. He had a 5.46 ERA. He, gets, he comes to Chicago. He, he has a decent first, you know, sort of half of a first season with the Cubs organization. Took off uh, uh, in 2014, and this year, I don't know if he'll win the Cy Young Award, but, you know, because Zach Reinke and Clayton Kershaw had great seasons, too, but it's a season that would win the, the Cy Young Award most seasons, and it's uh, I, I was looking at his in the second half. I think he's given up 
uh, something like three earned runs in his last 12 starts. But since the All-Star break, I think he has the second-lowest ERA as far back as MLB can track that track that stat, uh, back to like Ferdy Shupp, I think, in 1914 or 1916. So it's been a unbelievable year for Jake Arrieta. He had a very strong year last year, and certainly, I, you know, I think the Orioles, hey, or not the Orioles, the Cubs, when I, when I talked to him about this, I mean, they, they knew you know, they were getting a guy with some arm strength, and he could spin the ball a little bit, and you know, I, I think they were hoping, okay, you know, this guy could help our rotation. I, I don't think they thought they were getting a Cy Young Award caliber guy, but that's exactly what happened, and you know, as a nice little bonus, they got Pedro Strope, uh, who's been a key reliever for him for three years, so a tremendous, tremendous trade for the Cubs. Jim, uh, for years and years, uh, everybody's been picking the Blue Jays. Well, finally, they are in October. Tell us about them. Yeah, you know, when you're looking at under-the-radar moves for Toronto, I mean, there's there's a couple obvious ones that, that have been touted for several years, even when the Blue Jays weren't making the playoffs. I mean, they, they, the Blue Jays got Jose Bautista from the Pirates for in a trade for Robinson Diaz in 2008. And then they signed Edwin Encarnacion to a one-year, $2.5 million free agent deal. And both these guys broke out in a huge way after they got to Toronto. But, uh, you know, again, those stories have been told. The one I wanted to kind of bring up that hasn't been told nearly as much is Kevin Pillar. I mean, this was a guy who, you know, again, we've talked about bargains. Jonathan, uh, another $1,000 guy, so we could get this guy on the, on the Pipeline podcast budget as well. Kevin Pillar was a $1,000 senior sign in round 32 in 2011. Uh, you know, he was a small college guy, Cal State Dominguez Hills. He set a, an NCAA Division II record with a 54-game hitting streak in 2010. His reward for that was getting undrafted, or not getting drafted, I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, goes in the 32nd round in 2011, hits 347. Uh, in his pro debut, nobody really takes that quite seriously because it's a rookie ball and he's 22. He goes to the Midwest League, uh, low class A, and age 23, wins the MVP award. He hits, uh, you know, well in high class. He basically hits everywhere he, he went in the minors. You know, one of these guys just to prove himself every step of the way. Gets to Toronto in 2013 for you know about 36 games or so. Doesn't do great. You know, gets two, you know, 53 games in 2014. Does okay. And this year he was solid. He wound up playing 159 games. I don't think anybody saw that happening at the beginning of the season when Dalton Pompey was a, the more highly touted outfield prospect. Hits a solid 278, hits 12 home runs, steals 25 bases, and you know, he probably deserves a Gold Glove. It seems like weekly, on a weekly basis, you could see highlights of this guy making unbelievable catches in the outfield. Uh, you know, and so I mean, what a tremendous value for a guy, a Division II player overlooked. He was the 979th overall pick in the 2011 draft, and I feel very confident saying that he was he, he's a little bit better than the 979th best player in the 2011 draft. Sandy Alderson told Mets fans a couple of years ago that the organization was playing for 2015. Jonathan, uh, in a very weak division, and of course the epic collapse of the Washington Nationals, uh, the New York Mets go to the playoffs. Tell us about them. Yeah, and I guess Mets, you know, long-suffering Mets fans uh, are just relieved that they weren't the team that collapsed, uh, and, that, and that they were poised to, to take advantage of it. And they've done it, you know, as Jim said at the, at the top, uh, with a, a ton of homegrown talent. And you know, I think a lot of people outside uh, of the area who don't follow the Mets may think, oh, New York, big market, uh, you know, big free agent or trade acquisitions, uh, but uh, they have a ton of homegrown talent. Uh, you know, and then you know. Even guys like Noah Syndergaard, who doesn't count officially as homegrown because they got him from the Blue Jays, uh, he 
finish the development in the Mets system. So, you know, the player development staff gets a tip of the cap to that. But uh, based on sort of what we're talking about here, I think you can't not take Jacob DeGrom uh, in terms of uh, being much better than expected. This was a guy, a ninth-round pick out of Stetson. He was a shortstop originally. He signed for $95,000. Uh, had Tommy John surgery in 2011, uh, really was not on radars at all. I think some people may, maybe thought he'd end up being a reliever uh, just because of the durability. You worry, you worry about the arm having Tommy John surgery that early. And all he's done is win Rookie of the Year and then go to the All-Star game. Um, you know, nine and a half strikeouts per nine in his career since he's been in the big leagues. And, um, you know, with all the talk of, of Syndergaard and Matt Harvey, I mean, DeGrom's been as good. Uh, as any of them, and you know, for for 95 grand, uh, as a guy who's a complete under the radar draftee uh, when he was taken, uh, you know, kudos to the, the Mets scouting staff uh, at the time for for recognizing the upside uh, that maybe a lot of people did not see in Degrom when he was coming out of college. Uh, great job by both of you. Let me put you uh, on the spot, each of you. Uh, who wins the AL wild card game? Who wins the NL wild card game? Jonathan, back to you. Oh, boy. Predictions, huh? Um, I'm going to say that the Houston Astros will win the AL wild card game. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna prove to Jim that I'm not a complete homer. <laughs> I'm gonna say that the uh, the Pirates do not find a way to beat Jake Arrieta in the wild card game. And, the Cubs and I will show my profound respect for Jonathan just by agreeing agreeing with him on both of those picks. I also believe the Astros and the Cubs will win the wild card game. Although obviously in one game anything can happen. Oh, don't! I have never heard that expression before. Anything can happen. Wow, that's great. We got to trademark that baby. Uh, that'll do it for us, uh, guys. Terrific work. Thank you both. On behalf of Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Ed Randall. Thanks for listening to the MLB.com Pipeline Podcast.